today on Ag News Daily. The market has a situation where if it shoots first, ask questions later, that's exactly what we're seeing. We do not know how high prices can go. But what we do know is that at some point, we're going to see a major effect on demand. And we believe we're very close to that. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr today. And it's a little bit with a somber tone today, Ashton, as we do have official word that obviously Russia has fully invaded Ukraine. And there's a lot of news to talk about when it comes to what's going on on this front. But Ashton, I've been watching really closely on Twitter today and across the media. And there are just a lot of heartbreaking videos of People on the ground level in Ukraine, I saw this really, really scary video of a family that was in, it looked like an apartment complex in their, you know, apartment flat in Ukraine. And they're watching as a airplane is coming over top and drops a bomb on the city. So just a lot of really chilling stories and videos and messaging coming out from those people that are on the ground level. And I think that this is really one of the first times that we have gotten these firsthand real accounts of what it's like there in the city. You know, wartime reporting has completely changed because, you know, I'm a big TikTok person. I was watching before bed last night and people were going live on TikTok talking about what's going on, um, showing, you know, what their neighborhoods looked like. And I've seen so many videos of people trying to escape Ukrainian cities and things of that nature. And it's absolutely crazy because I have never seen anything like this in my lifetime. Social media has taken a new advancement, a new step when it comes to wartime, not even reporting, just sightseeing, I suppose, but it's, it's mind boggling. It's a bit scary, even though we are, you know, so far away from the actual conflict, but there's a lot to talk about when it comes to what's really happening on the the global field with this tension and no action right now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's an interesting thing that you point out as well really, we haven't had the ability to share things happening on a ground level at this massive of a scale, you know, with social media being obviously a big driver of that. Now, this, it's not obviously a war yet. And I don't want to say that it is going to become a world war. But with this conflict going on, this is going to be one of the first major events that we've actually been able to see from people living there, what is going on on a much more frequent and much more voluminous scale than we've seen on any past conflicts, Ashton. So it's a little crazy to think about that as we start to dive into today's news, looking at some of these headlines surrounding the invasion. But Of course, with this full invasion now, President Biden gave some remarks just earlier this afternoon, of course, indicating that sanctions are going to be put in place and officially mentioned that. But all the markets really have been reacting today. You know, in the overnight session, we saw corn and soybeans push drastically higher. And obviously, they have not quite followed through on that price action today. But There's just a lot of concern about the impact that this Ukraine shutdown could potentially have on on crops, especially and on the global supply and demand side of things. But Ukraine's military has officially suspended commercial shipping at its ports after Russian forces, of course, invaded the country. 
And an advisor to the Ukrainian president's chief of staff said that stoking fear of supply disruptions from leading grain and oilseed exporters have continued to push this decision forward. And Russia also ordered the Azov Sea closed to the movement of commercial vessels until what they said is further notice. But Russia has, at least by all accounts that I've seen so far, kept the Black Sea ports open for navigation. And we are going to continue to watch that. But I don't know, Ashton, if you've seen on Facebook or Twitter or any social media sites floating around, just the impact that Ukraine really does have from an agricultural perspective. Ukraine's obviously a very large exporter of corn and much of it destined to China and the European Union. So, of course, that has been a commodity market concern is what's going to happen there. But industry estimates currently put Ukraine's grain exports at about five to six million tons a month. And so that could be a big chunk of exports that are lost if ports are shut down completely. And uh, certainly a lot to take in there. Yeah, I, I saw that story as well, Delaney. And I think that we're talking a whole lot about grains and, and things of that nature. Oil seeds, I know, has been a big topic when it comes to this situation. But one thing that I wanted to look at today was what this is like uh, from you know an animal protein, um, a meat standpoint. And luckily, Steiner Consulting Group posted a report or uh, just a, a written statement basically talking about this. And they said that a while back, Russia was a major buyer of proteins in the world market. When we still remember when prices for chicken leg quarters in the U.S. or the price of beef in Brazil would be greatly affected by events in Russia. But that is apparently no longer the case. And the article goes on to talk a little bit more about Russian buying of pork, beef, and, and those kinds of things. But it said that the, the bottom line impact from restrictions on Russian protein purchases in the world market are likely to have no impact on global trade. However, Russia and Ukraine are major contributors to global grain and oil trade, and they are also major suppliers of fertilizers. High feed and energy costs are negative for U.S. livestock producers, and they will negatively impact their ability to bring more product to market. Ultimately, this is bad news for U.S. meat protein consumers. So that's just a little bit more of an inside look as what it's going to be like for the meat industry. I mean, I think that a lot of things are still up in the air, especially still when it comes to other commodities, but just a little bit of a closer look on the, the global scale. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned fertilizer there again, Ashton, because Ukraine is a big exporter of fertilizer, as well as, of course, Russia and Josh Linbill, who we've, of course, had on the podcast before and who's very active on Twitter and head of fertilizer for Stonex, said some things today I thought was very interesting. But we saw some really instant reactions in the fertilizer market today because of the invasion. April Arab Gulf Urea paper trades are $195 higher than yesterday's settlement alone. Physical Nala Urea traded $160 higher than yesterday's physical trade. So we're already seeing some really instant um, effects of the fertilizer market already. And we're just one day into this thing. But I found the post that talks a little bit more about Ukraine's impact in the agricultural space and really just the energy slash manufactured goods. I mean, they're a really big contributor for a lot of different things, and we don't talk about them a ton, I think, but they are certainly a big component of 
uranium. They uh, rank second in Europe and 10th in the world as far as titanium ore. They are the third largest iron ore reserves in the world. They have a lot of mercury there. As far as agricultural agriculture goes, they're first in Europe in terms of arable land area, which I hadn't realized. They're third in the world as far as black soil goes. They're first in the world in exports of sunflower and sunflower oil. Second in the world as far as barley production and barley exports. Third largest producer and fourth largest exporter of corn in the world, which like I said, I think that one really gets downplayed a lot. Also a big producer of potatoes, rye, bee production and honey, wheat, chicken eggs, cheese. I mean, they rank within the top 10 for a lot of different food products. So, you know, inflation has already been a big discussion of increasing costs in the grocery store. And I would be willing to bet that this will also have a drastic impact for consumers in the grocery store, Ashton. Well, Delaney, it sounds like you and I had a lot of the same stories really geared up here to talk about when it came to Russia and Ukraine. So before we move on to the one story that I had that wasn't talking about what's going on over there, do you have anything else to to really add to this story? No, I think really that kind of sums up what we know as far as today. Obviously, our thoughts and prayers are with those people, innocent people that have just been caught in the crossfires. They're located in Eastern Ukraine. And hopefully, I don't even know what to hope for at this point. It's just um, really chilling, I think, Ashton, to say that today could be a day that goes down in history. So I'm going to end it there. There's a little bit of a Debbie Downer for news today and let you finish up with your last story. Well, unfortunately, this really is a a Debbie Downer type of story as well, and it's talking about a lawsuit being filed in a U.S. district court in Nebraska. A group of seed companies is suing a Nebraska-based ethanol plant for creating an environmental crisis that they say have cost millions of dollars to clean up. In this lawsuit, the companies include Corteva, AgriLiant, Bex Hybrids, and Winfield Solutions say that Alt-N plant near Mead in Nebraska sold off its assets, abandoned the site, and botched the cleanup after the plant improperly used treated seed corn. And I think that we've talked about a story similar to this one, but either way, the lawsuit says that Alt-N breached contracts, signed with the seed companies, and a clue and accuses the plant's owner of fraud. It also says the plant violated state and federal law governing how pesticide-treated seed should be handled. Syngenta has filed a separate lawsuit, and Bayer says that the company is considering legal action. The seed companies are members of the Alten Facility Response Group that are cleaning up hazardous material created from the plant. These companies have asked the court to award compensation for the costs incurred during the ongoing cleanup. So like I said there, Delaney, not really a a positive story to end on here, but I think just the state of the world right now could use some positive news. So maybe we'll have some to chat about tomorrow, but unfortunately, that's all I have for today. Yeah, let's end it there. Let's uh, maybe end this podcast a little early. And unfortunately, folks, the conversation we're we're going to air here in just a moment doesn't necessarily get any lighter. We're going to chat with a gentleman who has roots in Ukraine, but also in Brazil as well to talk about what's going on on the world scene, but also what's going on from that Brazilian 
production standpoint, as we still have a lot of question marks about what is going to come out of the field and if that truly matters. So do stay tuned for that conversation. It actually is a really great one. I think Pedro has a lot of good insight that we don't hear often from other analysts. But before we get to that conversation, Ashton, let's take a look at where these markets ended for today. And as I mentioned, in the overnight sessions, we saw huge moves, limit up moves in the overnight in corn and wheat, as well as soybeans touched limit up, skimmed limit up and did not finish with those moves. So a lot of question marks are coming into play as far as whether or not that was the top and where we head from here. March corn ended 11 and a quarter cents higher at 6.95, May up nine to close at 6.90 and a quarter, and Dece new crop corn ended the day six and a half cents lower at 6.04 and three quarters. Soybeans today really had a major reversal after opening higher and quickly turning lower. March soybeans down 13 and a half cents to close at 1661 and a half. November new crop beans down 36 cents to close at 1451 and a half. Wheat really, of course, was the only market today to skyrocket higher on concerns of what's going on down over there in Ukraine and Russia. As the March Chicago contract added 50 cents to close at 926, the May up 50 as well to close at 934 and three quarters. In the livestock pits, major weakness today on beers of uncertainty. The April live cattle contract down $2.45 at $142.30. The June down $2.52.5 to close at $138.60. Feeder cattle today, that weakness continued as the March contract shed $3.67.5, ending the day at $159.10. The April down $4.47.5 to settle at $163.80. Lean hogs lower as well with the April contract shedding $2.50 to end the day at $105.52.5. The May cutting $2.52.5 to close at a buck 10. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. A little bit of positive momentum today as the March contract added 44 cents to close at 22.46. The April up 75 cents to close at 23.23. Ashton, without further ado, let's turn it over to our conversation with Pedro Danica. Well, folks, today we are chatting with a very interesting man who wears a lot of different hats, has a very interesting background, and works in the commodity and risk management space. We're chatting today with Pedro Danica, who is a partner and founder of MD Commodities. Pedro, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely, Delaney. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Pedro, originally when I reached out to you, it was because I saw this Twitter thread talking about South American exports and maybe some misconceptions that we have here in the United States as far as how that impacts the global supply and demand perspective. And I want to get to that here in a little bit. But you have an interesting background, and we've obviously had some fresh events that have come out this morning with the official invasion of Russia invading Ukraine, and you have a very personal connection to the events that are now overshadowing everything else going on. So I think maybe we should start there, if you don't mind indulging us and sharing a little bit about your background and some of these recent events today. Well, listen, thanks for having me. It's, um, it is with a heavy heart that today we, some way, somehow doing what we do, covering commodities, uh, which, by the way, it's, it's a job that I absolutely love. Uh, it's, it's a field that I love. It's incredibly dynamic, and, and, and I love working with our clients. 
but it is. Uh, we cannot uh, uh, ignore the fact that it is with a heavy heart. We have to some way, somehow separate the human tragedy side of everything that's happening and try to help our clients understand the possible ramifications of everything that's going on. And it becomes a job even more difficult to do uh, since none of us really know uh, what's going on. We can have our theories, we can have our hypotheses, and we can have uh, our base scenarios. But at the end of the day, um, I know uh, a vast majority of people, not just in the U.S. or in Brazil, uh, but even uh, both in Russia and Ukraine, contacts of ours, that never thought that what happened last night was possible. Uh, and it happened. So we are now caught trying to understand it in a situation where uh, Ukraine and Russia, for instance, have grown uh, incredibly uh, fast. Their, uh, uh, basically, their dominance of wheat exports, for instance, in the world, right? A few years ago, say about 10 years ago, uh, they both combined for only about 18, I think, 17 percent of total wheat exports in the world. They're now close to 30 percent of wheat exports. So obviously we had the reaction in the wheat market that we did. Uh, obviously, uh, a the situation in corn is also something that needs to be paid attention to. Ukraine is now a major corn exporter uh, fighting right alongside fighting, but competing right alongside Brazil and Argentina for the position of second largest uh, corn export in the world. Uh, Brazil and Argentina still have a leg up. Uh, having the potential to export 40, 41, 42 or more million metric tons, uh, which is the number that Ukraine produces. But the Ukraine has grown tremendously, not just on the production side this past year, producing 42 million metric tons of corn, but also exporting now over 30 million metric tons of corn. So all of that brings a lot of uncertainty. Um, what we do know at this point is that there has hasn't been anything announced as far as any sanctions or stoppage of exports. We understand that there's uh, uh, artillery and there's some conflict happening at some ports, but um, I think everyone in the world is just trying to figure out. Buyers are trying to figure out what to do. Sellers are trying to figure out what to do. Farmers are trying to figure out what to do. Uh, and just hoping that some way, somehow, uh, what happened last night wasn't the beginning, but hopefully uh, closer to the end of uh, this conflict, maybe uh, Russia is looking, you know, was looking to take out some military targets and, and stop right there. That's probably a, a utopian way of thinking. That's uh, wishful thinking, I guess. But uh, it doesn't hurt to think that way. So at mm -hmm. the end of the day, uh, we also cannot ignore the uh, role that Ukraine has in oil seed exports and sunflower oil. Uh, which is uh, a very widely used uh, vegetable oil around the world. So we saw the reaction in this soybean oil, uh, palm oils, and also uh, bringing with it the soybean market overnight. We're seeing a big reversal this morning. But all of that, Delaney, and it's a situation that brings more uncertainty. And the more uncertainty that appears in the market, you're seeing right now the market has a situation where if it shoots first, ask questions later. That's exactly what we're seeing. We do not know how high prices can go. But what we do know is that at some point, we're going to see a major effect on demand. And we believe we're very close to that. So markets, in our opinion, at this point are very, very dangerous and could turn at any point to the downside. So a lot of people that don't protect themselves could get hurt. 
on the financial side. Yeah. And I think that's the big question because a lot of farmers are probably kicking themselves if they didn't have a long position on the board, but now it's become obviously very volatile and that leaves a lot of question marks for at what point do we turn back down the other direction? And it sounds like in your opinion, Pedro, that's only a matter of time. But I think uh, the other thing I wanted to make sure we hit on here was you and your family have some roots back in Ukraine as well. So I think that presents you with an even more unique opinion on this situation in particular. Correct. Uh, My grandparents left Ukraine uh, during the Second World War and migrated to Brazil. Uh, I was uh, second generation born in Brazil. Uh, My kids uh, born in the United States. Uh, But we carried the Dayneka name very proudly. Uh, Still remember the first time I went to Kiev uh, for work uh, a few years back. and, And when I arrived at the airport, the uh, security officer looked at my passport, which, by the way, is a Brazilian passport. Uh, but he saw my last name, and uh, he, you know, he just said, uh, "Welcome home." And I literally, I, I'm a big emotional guy. I'm, a, you know, I, I'm, I'm a manly man. But I tell you what, I'm the first one to cry at movies. I, you know, I'm the <laughs> first one. To, I get very emotional about a lot of things. And uh, I remember I was very close to my grandpa, and I'm very close to my father. And uh, I called my father from the airport, you know, crying just just because I was actually the first of of my family to get to go back to the Ukraine after my family left uh, after the war. So it, it's very emotional for me. It's it's it hits close to home. I have many friends uh, and family still there in Ukraine. Um, again, it's a difficult to understand what they're going through, but uh, I'm, I'm I absolutely love the country and the people there. So it's it's yeah, it hits a little bit closer to home. And I want to move our conversation down to Brazil because we wanted to get a a closer look at what's going on down there. And obviously you have roots there as well. Mm -hmm. So why don't Mm -hmm. we talk a little bit more about the dry weather that we're seeing right now? Of course, that's been a a large topic of conversation when we're talking about South American production. So how Mm -hmm. is this dry weather really going to affect exports slash production? What's your outlook there? So very good. And before we, we dive straight into South America, you said something on the last question that I actually meant to answer. Um, you mentioned something about that. There's a lot of farmers that are probably kicking themselves for, for not being having a long position on the board. One thing that we noticed working from farm for uh, working with farmers from all over the world. OK. And by the way, this is a human characteristic It's not a farmer characteristic. But in the work that we do directly with farmers, we, we're going to use. Uh, the noun, and we're going to refer to farmers. But uh, farmers need to understand that they need to stop tricking themselves or letting themselves, letting their minds trick them into thinking that the pain of missing out on the rally could be larger than the pain of losing money. And I think as long as they let that guide their risk management decisions, you're n- it's going to be very rare that you're going to hit the top, You know, be able to sell at the top. Uh, we, for instance, advise some of the largest producers in the world, you know, some of the, our producer clients in Brazil, and some of you may already know this, but Brazil is a different beast as far as the size of some of these operations, right? So I can tell you that we have clients in Brazil that farm well over uh, four or 500,000 uh, acres, um, and, and they have to have risk management first in their minds. And it doesn't mean just because they're farming 500,000 acres that they're better than the guy that's farming a thousand acres or 500 acres because risk management is risk management regardless. 
So especially in the environment that we're in right now, with costs much higher than they have been, input costs much higher, uh, risk management has to be first and foremost uh, uh, you know, in your minds and, and ready to understand that, hey, listen, maybe I missed this rally, but as long as I'm locking in great margins, I'm going to keep doing what I do, and I'm not going to wake up one day when the board turns because we're going to see that day. History has shown us that. Now, you and I don't know when that happens, uh, but it's going to turn, and it's going to turn probably uh, sooner than most think. Uh, and when that happens, uh, unfortunately, it's going to hurt a lot of people. And so we don't want to see that. And that's the work we do with our clients. Our job is not to guess what the top is. Our job is to make sure that we take care of the margins that our clients have and that they have sustainability in their practices and they can do it for a long time. Um, so I just wanted to touch on that. But regarding uh, South America and exports, now diving right into the drought, by the way, historical drought awful drought that has happened in Brazil, uh, specifically in the southern portions. Our offices in Brazil are in the state of Paraná. Paraná, if you look at the map in Brazil, is the third state from south up. Uh, so third southernmost state, and it it uh, competes with Rio Grande do Sul, the southernmost state, uh, for the second position of largest producer, for the position of second largest producer of soybeans in Brazil, behind the state of Mato Grosso. Mato Grosso, just also to paint a, another picture for you and, and, and your listeners, uh, Mato Grosso alone uh, produces more soybeans than Iowa, Illinois, and half of Minnesota combined. So you see the sheer size of these areas in Brazil. And the reality that we try to paint to our clients is this. When we have a drought, emotions take over. And obviously you have weather markets and you have rallies on the board and, and, and everything that happens with it. And many people become uh, very, very bullish, rightfully so to a degree. But what we have here today, and I, I want to make sure that is very clear to your listeners, we do not have uh, a situation where we have a shortage of soybeans in the world. We don't. Even with South America losing 35, call it 40 millimetric tons of soybean production this year, which is catastrophic for the people that are experiencing this, for the farmers on the ground in Argentina and Brazil and Paraguay, et cetera, uh, Uruguay. But it's, it's a situation that the question that has to be asked is, is demand strong enough to where we actually needed that 40 extra millimetric tons of, of soybeans? I think that's a question that needs to be asked. And when we see China washing out you know, 10 cargos of soybeans a couple of weeks ago, in Brazil because their margins, their crush margins are awful at this moment and they simply make more money washing out than taking the beans. Uh, when we try to understand that China last year, um, the year prior, you know, they started in August of 2020 buying a lot of soybeans from all over the world, right? Actually, I'll, say, I'll take it back. In January of 2020, they started buying up all the Brazilian beans that they could buy. When Brazil ran out of beans in August, they started buying all of the U.S. beans that they could buy. That's in 2020, the COVID year. And they restocked. And so China is at a position right now where they don't necessarily have to run after this market. So, yes, we've taken, call it 40, 45 millimetric tons off of uh, the world production matrix with the, uh, the drought in South America but the question here is, is there a shortage? Is there a need to ration demand to where we are now, this overnight market almost reached 
the all-time high in soybeans that we saw during the drought in 2012 when U.S. stocks and world stocks were much, much lower. So, you know, we try to educate our clients on that and say, look, at some point, the world's going to wake up to this. At some point, people are going to realize that Brazil still has enough beans to ship out at least through July, if not through August, right into U.S. new crop harvest. And then at that point, if the U.S. has a good crop, the U.S. can easily feel the demand between, you know, late August all the way into late January when Brazil is now harvesting their new crop, which if weather is good, Brazil is going to put 150, 155 millimetric tons in the market. So at some point, all of this is going to kick in and it's going to uh, uh, people are going to start realizing that we're not running out of soybeans, despite taking 40, 45 millimetric tons off the production matrix in South America. So that's definitely something that, that, that needs to be uh, paid attention to. Absolutely. And Pedro, unfortunately, we've, uh, we're running up on time here that we just don't have much left with you. And we certainly appreciate you taking time out of your busy day today to interact with us. But I know you're very active on Twitter as well, which is how we found you originally. How can folks follow along with you? Because I know you're actively tweeting as the market is trading and things are new things are coming to light. Yeah, absolutely. So my Twitter handle PH, uh, at PhD Chicago. So again, at PhD the degree, but actually I'm not a PhD. Those are my initials uh, at PhD Chicago. And uh, yeah, I, I do my best to, to share a few uh, highlights every once in a while. And, uh, you know, if anybody wants to get to know our work a little more, they can direct message me on, on Twitter or they can reach me uh, via email as well at Pedro, P-E-D-R-O at M-D-C-B-R-A-S-I-L.com. But uh, that's it. That's what I got for you. I appreciate you having me uh, and uh, be happy to come back at any time you see fit. Fantastic. Well, we'll definitely take you up on that offer. Pedro, thank you again so much. Absolutely. All the best. Thanks again to Pedro for coming on and chatting with us today. We had a little bit of technical difficulties there in the beginning, but he really stuck through with us to chat about some pretty difficult conversations I think that we're going to be having maybe over the next, you know, couple of days. Nobody really knows, you know, what's going to happen here from a, a geopolitical standpoint, but definitely an interesting conversation, you know, especially talking about what's going on in South America, Delaney. Absolutely, Ashton. But uh, hopefully we maybe have some better news to share on the podcast tomorrow. But until then, folks, we'll be sharing some updates on our Facebook and Twitter account. I know I've been regularly checking social media as we continue to unravel what's going on in eastern Ukraine and Russia. So follow along with us if you want to keep updated as well. Find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.